Hey ladies, I am your host Yvette Lloyd and I would like to welcome Nina Sanovia. Hi Nina, how are you? I'm great, how are you? I'm doing fine. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? So I am um, in the field of neural and biofeedback. I am a clinician by heart, but a teacher and educator for life. And what I mean by that is I have a private practice where I see individuals and I teach them how to use bio and neural feedback to regulate emotions. Um, my passion is working with women. I like to work, I like to say, with the double X brain because those are chromosomes. And I love working with women and empowering women to, to know that they can show up the best version of themselves. And one way that I like to help women do that is through emotional regulation. Wow. And the tools I use are neural and biofeedback to do that. Okay, so could you give me a little more information and explain to the women a light term of biofeedback? Yes, so oftentimes in the in my private practice, I'll use um, devices, but what I really like doing is illustrating and showing tools and tips to help an individual self-regulate. So let's say we're currently in a stressful situation right now. So what is one way that we can calm our systems? What is one tool that we can calm our systems? We can look at several things. Some people might go on a mindfulness walk where they're just walking and listening to nature. I'm not a big nature outdoor person that way. So I have to find tools that I can give to individuals that that were very right? So a nature walk. Another tool that I really enjoy, and I do it, I don't always enjoy it, but I do it every day. Is, um, it's a tool that I use and I share with people to use to calm their vagus nerve. Our vagus nerve is the Audubon for our system, our fight or flight system. Our fight or flight system can be explained as a system that helps us get out of danger or assess danger when we see things as a threat. And so we'll either freeze in that moment to assess it or we'll flee from that moment. Um, so fight or flight is one thing that helps us actually uh, respond to stress in a way that will allow us to be more resilient or less resilient. So one tool I like to share is in in calming the vagus nerve is to take a 30 second, this is going to sound really bizarre, but hang in there. Okay. A 30 second shower while showering. So after the shower, you take a shower daily or in the evening or how frequently you, you take a shower and just use 30 seconds of cold water. Ooh. And I know people are like, exactly. <laughs> Woo. And it is designed to do that to your system. It sends your system almost into a shock, shock. response. That's what you're saying. It's like a shock response. Yeah. And that shock response, then it calms down. And I promise you on the other side of that shock response is, is calm. And we need calm to do things, right? We need calm to show up for ourselves. We need calm to show up for our families. We need calm to show up at work. We need calm to get in our car or get on the train or, or commute into um, our jobs. And so we need calm in every day. And that's one of, the, one of the ways that you can actually calm your system. And the net effect for that, it's really interesting that it's that, it's that you get an hour of calm after doing that 30 seconds. Now you can also cheat by just putting a 
I, I teach psychology courses to college students, and one of the college students told me that she's been using a towel, a wet towel on her face, and that to, to get that same effect. Okay. So that's, that's just like a tip to use um, just a wet towel, right? You could just throw in wet a towel or a paper towel in a cold, cold towel and then just put it on your neck and face to calm yourself down. Because you, we need this in this time. We need our system to do that so that we can make executive decisions, so that we can make the best decisions for ourselves, whether it's discussing the decision for a family, whether it's to go out or not in, in this current climate. So. Yeah, so that's one tip I, I, I like sharing with people because we all get that same response. Ooh, and I do it daily, and I still get that same response. But I know on the other side of that is calm. Oh, wow. So how long have you been doing this line of work? I have been doing this line of work for over 10 years. Wow. Yes, and this was way before... Um, my, your, your listeners, ladies, you may have heard of mindfulness. This was before mindfulness was quote unquote sexy and open to uh, the masses. I just realized that for me, I had come from, um, so I was born and raised in Los Angeles, in South Central Los Angeles, and I grew up in a toxic stress environment. And I knew that the toxicity from which I've grown up in, it never impacted my ability to think and to function in school. I went to college at an earlier age than most students, and it never impacted school. And because I wasn't acting out in school, because I wasn't a bad student, no one ever asked of me what happened to this child. I look at my childhood photos and I never, I was never smiling. And now I smile every chance I get. Um, but I, I got into this work because I knew that the decisions that I was making in my life in relationships, emotionally laboring through careers, I just knew that I didn't have to live that life. And then I found about 10 years ago this study from the CDC, which we're all familiar with, the Center of Disease Control, and Kaiser Permanente did a study in 1995. And they specifically talked about adverse childhood experiences. And there's a scale of 10 things. And if you had two of those things, you, you were more likely to have, you know, maybe disease in your, in your future as an adult. If you had four of those things, maybe it was going to cut your lifespan short. These predictors on the study of 15,000 people. And I had six out of the 10 that on that scale. Wow. Of adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Wow. And I knew, I knew that if I didn't do something different, chronic disease was going to set in and I was going to not have the quality of life that I wanted. Because the adverse childhood experience that happened to me between zero and 18 years of age was going to impact what my life looked look like. And so I went to the bookstore. And I had my master's in cognitive development, but I was really intrigued with this concept that there's something in neuroscience and how things connect that can help us improve our emotional regulation. And I taught myself every brain pattern, every part of the brain that I could. And I started teaching other people about brain patterns and neuroscience and biofeedback, heart-brain connection and how we can live our best lives. 
and that's how I got into this work. Wow. So to be more transparent about your childhood, could you share with some of our listeners what were some of the struggles that you had dealt with in the past of the little girl who you used to be? Absolutely. I was um, I was molested by an uncle. Wow. I was in that in that in that childhood molestation. I just was this very unhappy child. I um, grew up in a household where I had adult supporters that were in and out. Of, not all of them, but one that was in and out of the jail, the penal system, the jail system. Okay. I had endured black-on-black crime of family members and people that were close to her family that had killed family members. And yet I was still functioning, right? I was going to college at an early age. I was performing, but I was emotionally laboring through that. So how did you... And what I mean by that is I was just putting my head down and suppressing everything that had to do with that pain just to get through every single day, every single month, every single semester. Okay, that's why I was getting ready to ask you, like, how did you deal with so much of that and still maintain to stay focused as a young child? Without drugs. Okay. Um, I was able to do it, I think, because I was surviving. In the recesses of our primal brain, I was treating every single day as an opportunity to assess is this a threat or not and the one place that wasn't a threat for me was an education system adults were appropriate I had a role and all I had to do was execute did you have anyone that did you have anyone to push you and motivate you to stay focused and get your education and not leave and not live the product of your environment I didn't have to because because education was my safe place. Okay. And as a result of it being my safe place, it, there was no motivation. Because if you think about how people are motivated to learn or how people are motivated to move forward, we are, if you think about operant conditioning, we're conditioned to want more of what's rewarding us. Mm-hmm. And so education was very easy for me. Um, the adults were appropriate, right? So no one, I never, there was no threat of someone trying to touch me. There was no threat of, um, an adult was appropriate. A teacher was a teacher, I was a student, and you did that role. And I got the grades, and I really enjoyed learning. And so the, the fallacy, the mistake is that if something has happened to a child, it's going to always show up in the educational system. And that wasn't the case for me. So no one ever asked what happened to this child. Mm-hmm. So did anyone know that you were molested? No, no. I didn't even realize that I was molested until I was going through my, doc- my master's program as a young adult, early young adult. Wow. And um, and repressed memories came back up, and I couldn't squash them back down. They just emerged, and oh. I couldn't squash them back down. And I went on this quest 
for truth. And um, as a result of that quest for truth, I went back to adult supporters and and, and my family and started talking to individuals and they just never, they they didn't know where to place it and I didn't know where to place it because once you come out, right, you're just like, I've got to find it to the truth. Um, And then I realized that once I knew this, that there were already imprints into my brain, imprints into my into my subconscious mind that I was never going to forget any of that. So I had to really go in and rewire everything about my brain, everything about relationships, everything about threat, everything about um, potentially wanting to have a healthy relationship um, with a male. I had to rewire all of that. And that's when I, I just held on to neuroscience and the potential and the ability of our brain to rewire and create new neural pathways. And I don't want to say voila, because this is over a 10 year journey. Right. You know, here I am teaching other people about patterns and getting out of breath and um, how to move forward, how to keep pressing to your goals. Yes, I, I can highly agree with that due to the fact um last year was my tough year i lost my mother my husband's mother and um just going through that path of so much it was more or less my favorite saying is turning your pain into power and not Mm -hmm. letting everything consume you mentally because sometimes when we carry things mentally our body reacts to it our thoughts react to it our spirit it affects every portion of our whole body yeah it really do Absolutely. and if and if we carry that Absolutely. that's what creates a form of mental health exactly wow so yeah. um so do you specialize in mental health as well since you're so informative about really the brain because I, I i specialize more in resilience okay and part of that is the mental health is the cognitive health part it's, it's really teaching individuals how to rewire and it's not easy right because we want to default back to what is familiar and so the things like calming your system down with taking a 30 second cold shower to calm your system down so as you're learning new behaviors you're stretching yourself to stay in that format versus if you're stressed you're going to default to what is familiar and so i guess yeah i do teach mental health and i do focus on mental health but my specialty is resilience building and emotional regulation okay yeah because it can help in many ways. Do you have any, um, like, different things that someone could use at home to control mm-hmm. their mental state of mind and mm-hmm. and just practice self-care on a daily basis? Absolutely. So I would suggest that the coach are, if we're going to say whatever, but, you know, please reach out and let Yvette and myself, if you're interested, know, like, how did that work for you? Also, I I have found, um, so because of my childhood trauma and because of the physical childhood trauma, the deep breathing, like I love yoga, but it took me years, probably 15 years, maybe, maybe, yeah, 15 years to be able to deep breathe in a yoga session because I want to teach you this. 
And ladies, listen to this closely. When we breathe in, it sends our stress response in our central nervous system into a very active mode. Most often it is saying, this is not a normal breathing pattern. Why is she taking all these deep breaths? Are we about to flee something? Are we about to fight something? Or do we need to start assessing breath? So when we take that deep breath in, it might stimulate um, more shallow breathing. Like I can't catch my breath, I can't breathe like that. But the exhale out of that deep breath is the calming breath. So oftentimes, now that I've learned to breathe by using a breathing coach, physically I had to literally learn how to breathe. And I've been doing this work for over a decade, but I had to learn how to breathe over the last couple of years because of that past trauma. Mm-hmm. Not that it was making me recall it, but my body was responding like, Ugh. What is she trying to do, right? Right. And so I take a deep breath. And when I can't breathe anymore, I take three steps. Three more sips of breath because we always have the capacity to do more. And then once I get to that top level, I just calmly release the breath. So if you can't do a breathing exercise, so we talked about one way to to kind of as you know, to shock our system into uh, into a calmer state is a, a thirty second of running into the cold shower after shower. The other thing is is breathing. But what I want to say to you is these are tools. These are tools that you can just pull out of the toolbox. Like deep breathing didn't work for me for many, many, many years because of the the trauma, and it was sending my body into more trauma. And wow. so I could relax my legs, my arms, my jaw, you know, I could relax my body, but I couldn't relax my system. So sometimes I'd walk out of yoga and I was more stressed than when I went in. Oh, wow. And so the breathing, I'm just teaching you how, how all of our system is connected mentally, physiologically, and breathing will sometimes, depending on what you're experiencing or going through at the moment, or have experienced, it might trigger some things. So if deep breathing doesn't work, another thing that you can do if you've had a lot of trauma in your life, even though my focus is in trauma, I've done research and how we respond to trauma, is a technique called grounding. And basically, whether you're on a walk, in a room, you could just say, I'm going to identify five things in this room. It might be an orange you know, curtain, it might be a green pillow, it might be a plant, it might identify those five things to ground you back into the present moment. Wow. And then any stressors, any emotions, emotions are just a state of being. As long as you don't label them, you're able to attack them. So the grounding, I'll use the grounding. Sometimes I'll, since I'm learning how to breathe, I've learned how to breathe, I'll use a different color, label my breathing only my breathing, not the emotion. I may breathe in green and breathe out blue. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So how um how can you explain to women how important self love and self care is for you to achieve all of these accomplishments to deal with mental health or dealing with you know receiving the biofeedback in your brain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So you might say, I can't do that, Nina. I can't do that yet because I don't have devices. I haven't invested in devices. The tools I'm giving you are, are absent of any devices. It really is the biology, the bio feedback that your body is giving you as it relates to stress. And I think in the importance of of loving oneself, that doesn't come automatically, right? Like, yes, it I taught myself time. about 17 years ago, I heard uh, one of my, my younger cousins, my cousin, this was his, it's his grandmother, and he was laughing, he was about four months old, and I asked what that, what that was, what is that we were on the phone having a conversation, she said, that is the baby laughing, and I said, I'm going to teach myself that. I'm going to teach myself how to laugh at just like that. One day, one moment a day for seven days a week. And then it ended up being a year. And then it ended up being five years, 10 years. And every single day, I laughed like a baby. I just saw something that I wanted. And I just said, I'm going to borrow that until I have it. Yes. You know, because I was processing the things that were kind of these anchors and so I find one thing and part of that is just sometimes it's laughing at myself sometimes it's laughing at a memory sometimes it's laughing at whatever but this self-love is so important although it won't come overnight because it's the rewiring of old patterns and thoughts and behaviors that help us get there so even when I didn't know how to laugh like that I just borrowed that from this infant yeah. until I do it every single day for the last, what, over a decade. Wow. And that's so every good. Every single day. And sometimes people don't understand how much laughter is just so good for you. Yeah. In so many ways. And so when you talk about mental health, the fastest way to create those new neural pathways to make behavior sick is to learn something new. Okay. So what, um, as far as the, so the brain waves, right? Do you, mm-hmm. how does the brain waves work? Like when someone is dealing with stress or they're trying to maintain both stress and being calm at the same time? Mm-hmm. So the brain waves are always working. They don't, they're not, um, they don't judge and decide to work when you're stressed or not stressed. Our brain waves are always going. So if someone ever said, shut it off, shut your brain off, and you can go to sleep, that's not happening. Our brain waves are always active. Some are more active than others. So when, we, when we're in a more relaxed state, we'll have brain waves that are not as active, don't have as much energy. When we're in a more activated state or maybe we're um, we're going up for a promotion or we're going up for a job that we want or we're, you know, wanting something to really happen in our life. And so we, we kind of think about it a lot and that brainwave will come forward. So the way I like to explain brainwaves is that if we think about the neck, the head and the neck connection, that's going to be kind of the earliest development of brain development and we're thinking structure now, right? But that's also because the earliest is our primal part. It's our 
it's our what we call reptilian part. That's where our fight or flight response is. So that's going to happen automatically. You don't have to go and say, hmm, there are five young people walking around looking in cars and now they're approaching my car. That fight or flight is going to kick in. You're either going to go after it, step back, or you're going to freeze to assess what they're going to do to the car, right? And so the next part if you take your, your brain into three sections, that, that back part, kind of where most people have their hook, that connection to the to the um, the neck, is going to be where you find like your, what we call reticular, reticular activating system and your fight or flight. Some of your emotions are in there, memories. That's why it's important if you want something different you have to create the new memories. I, I wanted to learn how to laugh and smile. I always wanted that. So I borrowed it from that baby, taught myself that, and then it became a new behavior. So in that in that section of the brain, it leads us to then that kind of middle part where deep inside are those emotions and those memories. That's why in those emotions and memories, when it comes to our senses, smell, taste, hearing sight. That's why we can hear someone say something about us and it will stick forever. Wow. Because our our sensory memory in the middle part, if you think ear to ear, that band deep deep inside, if they those emotions stick when they come from our memory. So you can smell something that maybe was a comfort food that was cooking, you know when your mom used to cook or a perfume or and it will take you right back to that memory just whether it's good or bad the brain doesn't judge our brain waves don't judge just these are the functions and so we try and use to change behavior and we think about mental health and going after the life you want we know that we want to turn off that that part of the brain that's connected to the neck we want to turn that off and we want to access that middle part of the brain, those memories, right? And we want to be able to access the next part of the brain, the front part of the brain, the frontal lobe, um, the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe. That's where we're making very sound decisions. So we, if you can imagine, if you, you can't be fearful and make great decisions. So if you turn off that back part and you've got some good memories that you, you are a good provider, you are a good mom, you are a good wife, you are a good sister, you are a good employee, you are a good citizen, you can then turn that into good decision making. Wow. So that kind of ties into, um, I, I used to want to be a brain surgeon years ago. Um, I believe the terminology is serotonin, serotonin. It's um, like the hormones of the brain and it like keeps you calm and focused is that what it's called oh, serotonin yeah, yeah. It's, a neurotrans- it's a neurotransmitter yeah yeah and that's what keeps you calm and focused too right and happy yeah yes and that's where where a lot of people can really focus on doing that um another thing i wanted to ask you about is um your gym brain Jim Yes. I had saw on your um on your Instagram page that you had something about Jim Brain. It's in the um 
in your bio is oh so i do um i don't i don't think it is different yeah so i do um heart rate variability training okay and yeah heart rate variability training this is really fascinating for those that are wondering what about this this brain body connection our heart has its own intelligence center that we found out over the last 40 years so the stuff we're talking about psychology has been around for years and then this whole neuroscience biofeedback version of, of psychology is relatively new over the last 35, 40 to 35 years. And and we're seeing more and more science about this kind of um, feedback from our body, feedback from performance is really centered not in the brain, but in the heart. Okay. So heart rate variability measures for years and years and years, we use heart rate variability in society to measure performance and to help elite athletes get an extra um, push, extra inch out of every performance that they were going for. Imagine um, Olympians wanting the best performance out of their body. So they would use this technique in order to do that. Well, I started using heart rate variability about nine years ago to get that same performance out of emotion and mental health. Okay. And so, yeah, so my system was responding and so I, I focused on nutrition and sleep or my system was doing this and so if you you would think it would be about gym performance but it really is about emotional performance using a device that we used to use for gym performance only okay wow that's really nice <laughs> so out of you gaining so much knowledge and education throughout your years and making sure that you know you accomplish all of your goals from your childhood to now do you feel like you broke the cycle within your family um absolutely i i don't think that um i don't know for a fact that that the things that i endured were cyclical right and i'll say that because i i didn't see it penetrate the layers in my family Okay, that's that good. Oh yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I think that I think that some of the environmental things were um, happening that we see complete changes. You know, we have individuals that that have gone, you know, gone to other things and made other decisions than what some of the adult supporters of my life as a child. But we cannot, 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 cannot discount epigenetics in that factory. Right. And what I mean about epigenetics is, is, you know, the encoding, genetic encoding of what trauma does for generations to come that for people in your family that you may never never even meet. Right. Right. And that's more in depth because a lot of people go by their 
immediate family, the ones that they grew up with and been around every day instead of digging deep into the family tree and seeing who else has done what in the family. So you you yeah. really shed light to that um, that terminology as far as breaking cycles in your family history to a point where it's deeper than just what you see in front of you because you may be taken after someone else in the family that you never met before. Yeah, and it could have been their stress response, right? So let's say that someone lived through a great depression and their stress response was um, stunted because it happened when they were seven and then that lack of development as you talked about in terms of their neurotransmitters and neurons didn't fully develop because it happened before their brain was fully developed. Now they've passed that on to the next generation. So the next generation might be responding to a stressful situation as if they were in the past. Okay. That's... If they have to rewire those things when you find out this behavior is disturbing me, right? Being a very anxious person wasn't serving me if I wanted to really go out and thrive in my life. What, what was it to learn to laugh if I was going to be anxious and scared and fearful of everything? So I had to rewire that in order to really go after life with a capital L-I-S-E. Okay, yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, um... How was life like being a professor? Do you really enjoy it? I do. And, um, you know, my worlds don't separate. So I'm a, a, what I call a neural nerd. I love neuroscience and I bring it into everything that I am, everything that I do. And so my students are always pushed to know their stress numbers. And a part of what we do there is we, um, I give them an assessment. They know their numbers. They learn their numbers. They learn tools on how to self-regulate. They learn tools on how to actually um, teach others, master how to self-regulate, and then they have to teach us one tool to the group of, group of students. We did um, presentations last evening. I do a pre and post. And then I just kind of anecdotally, like, go over the numbers. And, and like last year, last semester, this semester, about 56% of the class are doing nothing else but understanding those numbers and having an awareness of how to self-regulate and manage their own mental health. Their numbers either went up or they stayed flat. And so they brought in things like um, they're starting to do, um, uh, what do you call the books? Like the drawing books where you color. Oh, yeah. Like like you're doodling in a sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness walks. They're listening to music. Um, They're not quite there with the taking, you know, the 30-second shower, but that's okay. (laughs) <laughs> I understand it's not for everyone. Um, and then we just, we, we know our numbers. And they're very aware and they are very articulate in communicating why that number went up, why that number went down, and what they've done to decrease it or try and decrease it. And so 
I, I, I love the role of professor for that reason. By nature, my family for over two, 200 years have been educators, and I'm an educator by heart. And so to be able to teach level two psychology classes to individuals that may or may not pursue the field of psychology, I start every session by saying psychology is everywhere everywhere yes it and is we're going to break it down and, and we're going to teach you how to understand how it permeates young people and older people in society and um understand why it's why it's important to, why it should be important to you and why it's so important to thriving instead of surviving yes have you ever heard of pace p-a-p-a-c it's like a um it's a pace test and it's like a web and you explain um you tell a story about yourself it's like a story web and it create into that you ever heard of that Mm-mm. it is really I have not. it's really neat i'm gonna have to send it to you because okay. it's um it's a web and it analyzes and it turns into something of what you said about yourself and it and it goes on its highs and lows and it measures your feelings. It's really, oh, wow. really cool. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to email that to you. I had took it in, I was taking a course, um, a leadership course at Harvard and it was oh, yeah. it was really, really nice. Uh it was a nice thing. And I'm gonna send it to you because that might be something you would like to do with your students because it's still focused on um, self care and understanding and who you are. Pace, and Paul, A is an apple, C is a cat. Uh huh. Pace. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I'm a, I'm gonna send that to you because it it helps it helped me out personally, and um, um I took a stress test before too. Okay. Yeah, it's a stress test. So you get it, so I, I make them know there. I don't I don't play around with that. I always say if you had a chronic disease, you would know your number. And the students that I that I'm working with are students that aren't um, always right out of high school. They're adult learners. Mhm. And we just don't take the time to do that for ourselves. So I create a space, a very brave space to explore that. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. So, mm-hmm. we're getting ready to wrap it up. So, in closing, um, what's a few words that you could tell our listeners on what could help them heal themselves within? I can be very kind. Um, know that you are here not because of what you've done today, but because of your brain patterns and what you've done over time and to reverse that doesn't happen overnight and to be very kind and to get sleep if you read anything if you remember anything rest sleep is very very important for restoring and repairing okay that's something that's that's something I had to practice on (laughs) getting sleep myself (laughs) So, how can our listeners get in touch with you? I can be found at, on Instagram at Nina, N I N A, 
Okay, thank you. So thank you for everyone for tuning in to Life Her Podcast, where we help heal women all over the world. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and watch our YouTube page of different videos and interviews that we produce. I am Yvette Lloyd. I am Life Her. Love yourself, ladies. Take care of yourself and others you love dearly. Thank you.